0: two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one ghost. And we are your ghostesses on this fine July afternoon, whatever time you're listening. Maybe it's three in the morning, but that's Corinne. Hi. And I'm Sabrina. And we're going to take you through an adventure of scary stories, ghosts, Ghost tales. Sometimes we forget
1: the ghost side of things. (laughs) Sometimes we just talk about ourselves. We do, and people don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) But then other people do. If you don't like it, there's a fast forward feature for a reason. I meant to look this up before we started recording, but of course it slipped my mind until we clicked play. But I've been seeing some information online, and this is very conspiracy esque. Of course, I could be completely wrong by parroting what I heard, which was this other person's interpretation of information. But Uh according to people on the internet, the CIA has released some documents and the verbiage in that document basically implies that we live in a simulation. Wait a second. So I was right when I thought we
0: were living in a game of Sims. Yes.
1: We're just these passing energies and vessels all in a simulation, and you can just wish things into the world, and the sky will open just a seam. A massive eyeball will look down at you, and it will give you what you want. Interesting. I can't tell you any more information because I myself did not read the documents, so I basically went off of... A 30-second clip of someone being like, we live in a simulation, the CIA released the documents. So, you know, very reliable.
0: Wouldn't you rather live in a simulation than not live at all? That's
1: such a question.
0: I guess. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, okay with it being a simulation. But
1: what is not living? Being in space. Wait a second. (laughs) Wait a (laughs) damn minute. What is time? Is time living? If time is just a construct and living is just something we attached to a meaning that means nothing anymore because this is a simulation, then we can do whatever the F we want. I don't understand why people don't like listening to these beginning parts. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So we're all just here to have a good time. Yeah. And to talk ourselves in circles.
0: Sometimes those are the most interesting conversations, but then also the most confounding. And then I leave them being like, I have a headache. But if this is all a simulation, then why do I need to sleep?
1: Why am I always so tired? Sleep is actually, I've been thinking about it a lot over the past week. It's so weird that our bodies just shut off and are just defenseless. And we enter into this other existence within the chemicals of our brain, or so we believe, just for like 10 hours or six hours or whatever people sleep for. But like a third of our life, we're just lifeless, essentially. We're just sleeping. That's so weird. Why? 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 Why do our bodies need to shut down? How come we can't just function the way we are every day? What special thing happens when we're sleeping that can't happen when we're awake? I think a lot happens when we sleep. Isn't it like your memory gets stored? I understand that there are a lot of things that happen (laughs) while we're sleeping, but I don't understand why it has to happen while we're sleeping. What prohibits it from happening while we are awake? Or why can't we sleep less? Like,
0: why do we have to sleep? For some people, you can sleep like five hours and be fine. But why do I specifically have to sleep nine to 10 to 12 hours to be like, oh, I
1: actually feel energized today and I can operate? Yeah. And why do koalas sleep for 20 hours?
0: Maybe I was a koala in a past life. (laughs) That's a possibility. I mean, cats sleep a lot too. So, And I'm okay with being either one. Makes no sense to me anymore. Wait. Okay. Speaking of past lives. My coworker told me what happened when she was meditating. She astral projected. And this is like the short version of the story because I don't want to get like, I don't know. I don't want to give all of her personal information. But anyway, she started meditating and she was doing like one hour meditations every day. And then one day, and she was saying that like every time she meditated, her apartment felt very like safe and like peaceful and serene. But then this one day she was meditating and like everything around her started feeling really gray and all of a sudden, she was outside of this, like, house in a random-ass place, and she was so unsettled, and she was like, I don't want to go in this house. I don't want to go in this house. There were these two women who, like, basically attached themselves to her, <gasps> and she couldn't get them off of her. Ooh. And she finally comes out of this meditation, but she's like, I feel these the presence of these two women still here. And she was talking to her friend who, similar to us, like, or way more professionally than us, does a lot of this, and you know, spends time meditating and spends time astral projecting Mm -hmm. and was like, they probably have a message for you. Like it's probably some spirit or spirits that have a message for you. So she tries to like communicate with them and she was like reading tarot cards with them in her presence and she comes to figure out that they are her past lives. What? Yeah. And so now she's been like working through meditations and trying to communicate with them and learn about her past lives. And What her purpose is in this life and what she's supposed to take from their experiences in life and use it in this life.
1: Yeah, because that makes me wonder, is she a very new soul and has only lived two other lives? Or are these the two prominent lifetimes that have come forward because there's something important to be said about what was experienced during those specific lives. Right. Yeah. So I think it is definitely that because she
0: said that there were other like a few other lives that came through, but they weren't of any importance or like they didn't really feel like they had a message for her. She just kind of got flashes of them. But these two lives she feels like were way more important.
1: Oh my
0: gosh. This Uh is so cool. I know. And then it got me thinking because that one time I actually projected when I was sleeping, remember I said I was having a full conversation Mm -hmm. with this woman and it kind of felt like therapy. But what if it was a past life of mine?
1: That was really interesting because I was just thinking like maybe there was one thing that you could probably pull from that experience where she was really hitting hard on something. But if you were talking about everything, then I don't really know. Maybe it's an opportunity just to like help guide you and and help you manifest what you're looking for for this life. I do think it happened kind of before I got into the Warner Brothers
0: workshop and maybe when I was applying or in that process of it. And it kind of felt like a believe in yourself type of conversation.
1: Wow. Because it's a
0: simulation. And if you believe in something and wish for it, it happens because someone
1: else is controlling this. (laughs) My mind is going a million miles a minute right now because when you had first talked about that experience, we were talking about like, oh, what if it was another ghost or what if it was a spirit guide? What if everybody's spirit guides are actually themselves, but just previous lives? Wait. Does that not kind of blow your mind to think about that? That actually makes a lot of sense. Right? Because each, if you believe in reincarnation, each life is really meant to progress your soul in a way that eventually becomes whole. And then at least my understanding of it is that you'll eventually be of this higher level and your spirit will essentially graduate into this Other class, right, and probably not preside on earth for any other reason than to help others along the way. But it's interesting to think that, like, your past lives now knowing what you're supposed Mm -hmm. to accomplish, or at least having some sort of inclination of the direction you should be going, is guiding you based on their knowledge of all the previous lives and where you've already been.
0: And who better to guide your spirit and your soul than your own spirit or soul? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, we did come up with something amazing from this conversation. We're done.
1: (laughs) Uh, Thank you all for listening to Two Worlds One Ghost. This is the final episode. (laughs) We've solved all the world's
0: questions. Everything. It's done. Every single thing. Until next week when we come up with a hundred other things
1: (laughs) that we just don't understand. Until I finally meet the people who live in the center of the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Not this again. (laughs) No, no, no. We'll let it be. (laughs) <laughs> we
0: can only do one conspiracy per episode. Okay,
1: okay, fine. Wait, I already brought up another one, which, which was the CIA simulation. Okay, fine. We could do two. <laughs> Max three. We're capping it at three. We'll see what else okay. comes up this episode.
0: Yeah, we never know. We can't limit ourselves, as I tried to limit ourselves. We can't. <laughs> I take it back. I take it all back. We can't limit ourselves, but the limit is three. Hooked dokey I'm excited about this because... A few weeks ago, I can't remember because time doesn't exist. It's a construct we've come up with. But a few weeks ago, you mentioned on TikTok, there's a thing called Cottage Core. Yes. And for a very long time, we had talked about doing an episode about fairies mm-hmm. and... We're going to go so core. it's not even funny today.
1: It's all about the fae, baby. Oh, I like that. If you don't know, I know I've mentioned it probably back in 2017, maybe in our early, <laughs> early podcasting days. I actually have a fairy collection. It was the one thing that I've collected. Some would say hoarded, but I say <laughs> love and cherish. And it's a fairy collection. It's by, it's like collection by design and design is spelled D-E-Z-I-N-E. And they are so cute, and I need to find them. They're in my house somewhere. My dad said that he moved them to the basement, and then I told him that he must move them back up to my room so that when I'm home, I can visit them. Sabrina, I will—when I'm home in Vermont, I'll take a picture of them and send it to you. Okay, yes, please
0: do. In childhood, I was never very largely into fae and fairies. I mean, aside from, you know, Peter Pan and Tinkle—Tinkle Tink, Tinkle Bell. <laughs> Tinkle <laughs> whoa oh god (laughs) why did the simulation make me say that
1: (laughs) this is like an e-bombs world version of tinkerbell tinkle bell gross (laughs) tinkerbell our good friend
0: (laughs) aside from those i don't think it was i don't know whether it was from my parents or for like in childhood it wasn't present in my life but then when i was in high school i was a camp counselor at my high school's like summer camps. And I was the camp counselor of Fairy Camp. Ah! So I helped instill love of fairies into a bunch of children that summer.
1: That's amazing. Mm-hmm. We went out into the woods. I have not read that on your LinkedIn, so I think <laughs> it's incomplete.
0: You want to update it for me? Uh, yes.
1: I'll endorse you. I'll write a review. I feel like I made up for it in adulthood. Absolutely. Do you think that you're going to, when you eventually have children, introduce them into, the, like, this side of the world with fairies and fae and all the mystical beings. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Everything.
0: It's funny. Because you know how I, I was telling you that whenever I go do things with friends, whenever that ever happens again, I'll, like, read ghost stories to them. Yes. So now the joke is—and these are, like, Nick's friends. More of Nick's friends, but they're our friends. But they, the joke with them now is that I'm going to read instead of bedtime stories— To my kids, I'm going to read our listener stories to our (laughs) kids. (laughs) And they're just going to be like the creepiest, best children in the world.
1: And also just calling it (laughs) listener stories. If you're thinking about a child who has no idea what the podcast is, that sounds so creepy. Instead of fearing ghosts, they're going to grow up fearing something that they know as the listeners. (laughs) That's so creepy. Or they're going to be like, mom, can you tell me another
0: listener story? Listener
1: story. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Are you up first? I am. I am. Yes. I love when I get story time. Good thing because uh, I pulled the definition of a fairy from Wikipedia to start us out. Thank you so
0: much. This is like what I would do with my high school speeches
1: (laughs) (laughs) or like papers. Yeah. You always start with the word Now the definition and now what it means to me and the three paragraphs I'll be discussing followed by a conclusion and a hook. Are you ready, folks? Here we go. Here's my paper. (laughs) I'm so in. You sold me. Okay. Well, according to Wikipedia, a fairy, also known as fae and fair folk and fairy folk, is a type of mythical being or legendary creature in European folklore, and particularly in Celtic, Slavic, German, English, and French folklore— It's a form of spirit, often described as metaphysical, supernatural, or preternatural. The label of fairy has, at times, applied only to specific magical creatures with human appearance, small stature, magical powers, and a penchant for trickery. Mm. At other times, it's been used to describe any magical creature, such as goblins and gnomes. Fairy has, at times, been used as an adjective with a meaning equivalent to enchanted magical. Wow. There is so much to be said. We could literally just do an episode specifically on like what fairies are in the folklore, the history. There's a bunch of different forms of fairy-like creatures. Like if you go over to Indonesia, there's like six different names for them. They're all over the place and they're all known as something a little bit different and have different types of reputations. So there's so, so much. And if anyone already hasn't listened to the podcast Ghosts in the Burbs... Liz Sauer does a wonderful job of incorporating fairies into a lot of her stories. So if you like fairies and fae, you should head over there as well, just for some fun, entertaining stories. So good. So good. Okay. But during my research, I found something very cool that is called the fairy census. What is that? Counting how many fairies there are? Basically. So (laughs) the fairy census is was published back in 2014 as an attempt to gather scientifically the details of many fairy sightings from the last century, as many as possible, so that they could measure in an associated survey attitudes towards fairies, if there's any similarities, just like trying to gather all information so that they can figure out what the hell is going on and if like regionally there are any differences in how Might different folklore influence them and and whatnot? Whoa, that's so cool. So cool. So essentially people who I'm assuming find the census when they're searching to try to make sense of what happened to them, what they just saw. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they find the very census and they enter their encounter into the database. And a lot of this database is public. They've published like a whole manuscript of what they have so far. And you can go, you can read through the encounters. It gives Basically, like a rough age of the person, like it'll be like age four to 48 or whatever. And it will give general location and then it will have the description of the encounter. So there's no real identifying descriptors of the person, which, you know, helps to encourage people who want to remain anonymous to still tell their story. Wait, that's amazing. I didn't even know this existed. Oh, it's like a 200 page document. So there's so much there. And I feel silly for for bringing it up and then telling you that I didn't use any of the encounters from it, <laughs> but I went real deep and I read so many encounters there and it was, it was awesome. But that's also such a good reference for anyone of our listeners who
0: have had experiences, you know, they can go, you guys can go on there and look it up. It could be our
1: next book club book. I don't know. Absolutely. Oh, what was that movie that I loved so much when I was younger? A Fairy. It was called A Fairy Tale. And it was about those two sisters who photographed fairies in the stream in like England or something like that with their father down by the creek. Cotton Glee. Cotton Glee. About Elise Wright and France Griffith who took photos of the fairies down by the river. Perhaps. This one's called Fairy Tale, A True Story. And it came out in 1997. The one that I watched. Oh, there's this whole story that I was going to do of the cottondly. I'm probably
0: saying that incorrectly. Fairies, And it's like these two girls who were cousins and took photos in like 1917 down by like a water bank. And they developed the photos in a dark room. But then.
1: Yes. Okay. So this is just, it must be just a different version and a remake of that story. This movie. Oh my gosh, I didn't know it was a movie. Oh, you've got to watch it. Oh, so good. So many great things out there, but uh, for this episode, the stories that I'm about to tell you are not from the census or not from any movies or stories that we'd previously heard, though it's possible that maybe some of these stories have now made their way to the census and and other areas. But during my search for fairy hotspots, there was one county in particular that caught my eye that kept being brought up, which is County Donegal and it is in Ireland. So I've selected a few fairy encounters from County Donegal residents to share with you today. Oh, fun. Okay. Well, now to start about some of the folklore and history of Ireland. So Ireland has a long history with the fae and the belief in ancient magic. And while in Ireland today, I read many, many articles citing that there are Way fewer people who wholly believe in magic or in fairies. And a lot of uh, the fairy tales and fairy-focused attractions are to attract tourists and essentially kind of mm. play into the love of folklore and and of their history. But there are still plenty of books out there and plenty of references to learn more about the history and the cultural significance of fairies in Ireland. In Ireland, there's a mythology about a supernatural race, the Tua de Danon. It's thought that thousands of years ago, this supernatural race was made up of deities and they lived mostly in the other world, but would interact every once in a while with humans and the human world from time to time. And each member of this race was associated with a particular feature of life or with nature. So they all kind of had these supernatural powers and were looked up to and revered and people enjoyed being around them. Some people thought of the Tua Dé Danann as sort of this fallen angel type of figure, neither good nor bad. But really, no matter what the belief was, it was thought that these creatures essentially populated all of Ireland, and they were bringing ancient magic to the lands. So the Dé they were small, busy beings, and for some time they coexisted peacefully with humans, eventually referred to as fairies, and they would live on the countryside while the humans populated the towns and villages. And in ancient scripts, there are many passages that actually reference this coexistence, which is another conspiracy theory in and of itself. Like, was this folklore that's been told for time and time and time again? Or is there some sort of real validity to this where there might be a bunch of ancient creatures that have been cited in a bunch of different populations that maybe had no contact with one another and still somehow had the same sort of story? I don't know. I'm not an expert. But the fairy folk, they would create potions to aid the humans in their health. They would mend shoes. They really specialized in shoes. And mostly they kept themselves busy and they worked a lot underground. So they would essentially like just make these sort of caverns or mounds and live inside the earth. And then occasionally they'd come out and be seen. I feel like a common theme with a lot of
0: folklore when it comes to... um like mystical animals and creatures, ends with us being the problem, humans, you know?
1: Yes. And that is literally exactly what is happening right now with fae in association with Ireland. So even though they were interacting well and coexisting well with humans prior, sometime in human history, humans started to move into the area, into the the fields Mm -hmm. that they lived in, And kind of pushed them out. And the fairy folk, they moved outwards. They moved into the deep woods. They went up to the rocky hills. They moved over to the sea. They tried to move out of Ireland into other countries. Or they tunneled even further underground. And upon seeing what ugly the humans could do with famine, with colonization and whatnot, the fairies took cover and they started to have a lot of anger towards Humans And that anger began to fester over time. And some of the fairies never got over their anger. And in parts of Irish folklore, it said that some of the fairies' anger manifested physically and actually changed their appearance into what we now call gnomes. Whoa. So essentially, we pushed fairies to be so mad and so resentful and so horrified of humans and their behavior that they could no longer present themselves as what we see as like Tinkerbell and stuff and just turned into this uglier, what we believe is an uglier version of a creature. Wow. That's so sad. Why are we so awful? Just terrible. If this is a simulation, why
0: do we have to be so awful? Why can't we, why can't whoever's running this be like, turn the knob to niceness?
1: Just turn the knob. It's like when you're in spin class, just two more... Two more turns. Everyone can do it. You can do it. I know it sucks. I know it hurts, but you can do it. Turn down that resistance. (laughs) Okay. So now we're back in Donegal, Ireland. And in 1853, during the summer, there was a boy named Neil Colton. And he's the one that told this encounter, this story back in the day. and, And that's why it's recorded. So Neil was with his brother and he was with his female cousin. And they were around his home, just wandering around and playing in the field And they decided, let's gather berries. And so they go over to the edge of their property, to the field where there are bushes and and berries and whatnot, so they can begin their harvest. And that's when all three of the kids heard music playing nearby. And curious, they followed the sound. And when they stepped behind a few large rocks, they could see far in the distance, out in the field, a few hundred feet from where they were. There was music, and the music was accompanied by a group of people, about six or so people, who were all gathered together dancing in a circle. And so Neil, his brother, and his cousin, they were like, whoa, and they're all just standing there watching for only a few moments when one of the dancers broke free from the circle. It was a woman dressed in red, and she turned, looked at them. And started to run at the children. Oh, oh, uh and as she gets closer, the kids realize that this person is not a regular sized human being like them. This person is much, much smaller. And a lot of the encounters that I like came across, kind of the average height that was always cited was like 18 inches. And so I'm assuming Mm -hmm. that it was probably around this height as well. So This woman in the red dress is just sprinting at them, running at them through the field. And now the kids are realizing that she's super small, but they're all kind of just stunned and curious and standing there watching this happen. And when this woman gets right up to the kids, she leaps at Neil's cousin and she smacks her in the face. And Neil's cousin, frightened, turns and grabs onto Neil's brother, grabs onto him like, help me, help me. And the kids are all scared. They start to flee. They're running towards the house. And as soon as they got to their property, Neil's cousin, the one who had just been slapped by this Mm -hmm. woman in the red dress from the field, falls down and she appears to be dead. She's not moving. She's not breathing. And she hadn't just fainted. They're all around her. And it's as if her body just died of fright. It's just frozen. And so Neil's dad was called or heard the commotion and runs down to help them. And upon realizing that his niece is dead, he quickly calls a priest to come help. Something happened. There was a woman, blah, 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 kind of re- recounting what the kids had told him. So the pre- the priest is like, zip, zip, got to get over here. Hurries <laughs> zip, zip. over. <laughs> I picture him in a car, but I'm not really sure the mode of transportation that they yeah. used in Donegal back then. <laughs> <laughs> zip, zip. Zip, zip. So the priest, he hurries over. He goes to their home. He reads some psalms over this girl. He takes his stole, which is the long scarf-like fabric that priests wear over their shoulders, and he hits her with it. He whips her with it. He's doing all these things that- this poor girl. Is part of, I know she appears to be dead, but he's doing all these like sort of ceremonial things in response to what he believed had happened, which was essentially an attack by a fairy. After he does all of this, Neil's cousin seems to awaken from her death-like state, and she's fine. Everything's fine, except for obviously being scarred and probably PTSD from being chased down by a fairy and slapped. Yeah. So it was this group's understanding that this had been an attack by the Fae. And if Neil's cousin had not grabbed on to Neil's brother, remember when she got slapped, she turned and Mm -hmm. grabbed on to Neil's brother to, to try to stop the attack or for help or whatever, it sort of broke whatever was happening. And it's believed that if she had not made contact with her relative at that time that it's likely the fairy would have succeeded in the attack and essentially taken her away forever i mean imagine they hadn't called this priest
0: too like maybe there's some knowledge of like what like it seems like the priest had some knowledge of what had happened and how to Mm -hmm. fix it imagine they hadn't called the priest and she was just in like a trance like sleep which reminds me a lot of sleeping beauty kind of because the whole town fell asleep when she pricked her finger but yeah like she wouldn't what if she wasn't actually ever dead but and they hadn't called the priest
1: yeah it's very Romeo and Juliet just enough poison enough of this potion to appear kind of Mm -hmm. in this frozen state I don't know pretty crazy that is
0: I was not expecting any of that (laughs) where does this magic power
1: come from and what yeah the ancient powers of the land I don't know How do we tap into that? Also, okay, so this isn't a part of the episode uh, notes that I wrote, but in my research, I did find a story from Lilydale because they have a they have a fairy trail. So I'll I'll tell you later, but everyone should okay. Can't wait to hear. Should look it up. The next two encounters were told by a woman who grew up in County Donegal area, and for the sake of the story, I'm giving her the name Erin. Okay, so when Erin was seven, she remembers being on the second story of her childhood home and she was looking out the back window. And normally when she looked out her back window, she would see people's backyards, there were buildings, there were structures, roads, vehicles, a handball alley. She was in this more populated area. But this time when she was seven and looked out the window of her second story home, her backyard had completely transformed into this beautiful field of green grass There were rocks seemingly perfectly placed around small pools of water. There were wildflowers covering the fields for as far as the eye could see. And everything was kind of swaying in this gentle breeze. And it was so beautiful. And so she stood there as a seven-year-old, entirely transfixed on this new landscape, completely in awe of what her backyard now was. Totally. Yes. And that is when something caught her eye. There was a little bit of movement closer to her house and her backyard on her property. And so she drew her gaze from the sprawling wildflower fields to her backyard. And in an old flower bed, she saw a man. And this man was small. He was the size of a baby doll, is how she described him as a seven year old. And he was wearing green trousers, a waistcoat, and a jacket, and his shoes were extremely black, so so black. And they were contrasted with two large, extremely shiny gold buckles. And she really was just totally in awe of his shoes. And that's one thing that really stuck out to her and stayed in her memory this whole time. And this man, he's sitting in the flower bed, this baby doll-sized man. And he's examining his shoe when Aaron believes he must have sensed her looking at him from her window. And he quickly snaps his neck to look in her direction. He smiles at her, and then he vanishes. Oh. And for years, Aaron could not make sense of her experience, the landscape changing around her, a new small being presenting itself as a human, smiling at her, the clothing, oddly descriptive of kind of like a leprechaun type of clothing. Yeah. And so for years, she was like, did I see a leprechaun when I was seven? She, she couldn't really – I mean, she grew up in the area, so she knew of folklore – of fairies, but hadn't really understood what she'd seen or how her space around her was manipulated in the way that it was. But then years later, as an adult, Erin met her partner who had grown up in the rural area of Donegal. And Erin had grown up in this more populated area with neighbors that were a stone's throw away, there were roads, buildings, people always in view. But her partner had grown up in an area surrounded by mountains and farmland, and the neighbor's homes were very far apart, so far that if you shouted, there was a good chance that no one would hear you, which is pretty scary and also a dream. I want it, and I Yeah, don't. I was going to say, you love that. I like it, <laughs> but not a lot. <laughs> there was one church, and there were no shops, so it was super rural town. It was mostly farm fields, and really her partners, we'll call him James, his idea of social interaction or coming upon something is seeing a local cow or sheep like wander over to his property <laughs> hey that sounds exciting for someone who has never
0: experienced that
1: as a lover of cottage core i accept <laughs> i accept this proposition of a cow wandering into my space
0: the wandering cow
1: the wandering cow oh that is such a cute name for a restaurant it's gonna be all vegan no meat Yes, it's so cute. Let the cows wander. You would do so well opening a little vegan spot in Vermont, just such a little granola restaurant called The Wandering Cow. Everyone would go, (laughs) I promise you. All right, should we open a new business together? Absolutely. Okay, so James, he grew up in this extremely rural area of Donegal, and so when it was around 3 a.m. in the morning and he woke up by the sounds of laughter, this surprised him because... Who was around his house? Why are there multiple people? This has never happened before. Cows don't laugh. No. Cows. The laughing cow. That's also a cheese brand. It's also a cheese brand. (laughs) (laughs) But he's just like, what is happening? And so he sits up in bed and he listens. And his parents, they're both asleep in their room. But he's hearing the sounds of laughter and giggling as if there's a larger group. There's a get-together somewhere in the vicinity of his house. And so he strains his ears to listen and that's when he identifies the soft sound of musical instruments and it appears that there's Irish music being played somewhere. He heard drumming, he heard a bit of fiddling, seemed like there were some bagpipes in the mix and the music is accompanied by laughter. So presumably it's a party. So James, he gets up and he starts to follow the sound and he needed to figure out where this was coming from. He'd never seen or heard anyone party this close to his house. So he's like, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to open my front door. I'm going to see what's up. And so he gets out of his bed. He walks to the front door. He opens his front door. He steps out and nothing. He couldn't hear a lick of music or laughter, just the sounds of nightfall, nothing out of the ordinary.
0: Weird. So he
1: closes his front door and he steps back into his home. And then again, he hears the party. He hears the music. He hears the laughter. And so he's like, Mm, Let me listen more carefully. And he ends up following the sound to the back of his house. And he opens the back door and he can hear it. It's a bit louder now. And so he follows the sound out of his home, into his backyard, into the edge of his family's garden that backs onto a field. And in the field is a mound. And this appears to be where the sound is coming from. So he moves over in the direction of this mound that's set out in the field and he shines his light on it. But there's nothing out of the ordinary. It's a pretty standard looking mound out in the fields. There's nothing to indicate that anything is amiss. But James is still hearing the music and the banter and the laughter. And it's kind of sounding like it's coming from that direction. It's coming from the mound. So finally, he's like, let me put my ear closer to the ground. And he moves his ear closer and closer and closer to the ground until finally his head is just against the grass And he can hear the vibrations of the music. He can hear the laughter. It's as if it's coming from underground, but it's coming, it's moving through the ground from the direction of the mound. So whatever it was, was inside the mound in the field having a party. And so this spooked James completely. And he ran back to his house and he ran back into his bed. And then just a few weeks later, he got his hands on a book of Irish paranormal stories to his surprise, and probably to his delight to have some validity and reassurance in, in his experience, he read a story about fairies and about his hometown being a popular spot for fairy sightings. Wow, I was getting a
0: lot of True Blood vibes from that. I haven't seen True Blood. It's Anna Paquin and she like is like is a fairy. And falls in love with a vampire. It's so good. Okay.
1: This sounds up my
0: alley. I think it ended when we were in college and I remember doing big True Blood
1: Nights together. That sounds really messed up if you don't know that it's a television show. True Blood Night. We have a True Blood Night ahead of us. Maybe the Fae know the vampires very possible. I think there was like something with her blood too. And if they
0: drank it, it was like m- some magical thing. I don't know. Or no, maybe it was her blood was like poison to vampires. I can't remember. It, it's been so many years, but it was really good. It's a great show.
1: All right. I need to watch that show. Add it to my list. A lot of hot men. It's HBO. Of course it's hot men. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just crazy because in, in all of the stories that I read and I, I picked up on, on Donegal because there were just enough encounters there that I was like, ooh, I want to write about this specific area. I'm sure there are many, many more, but so many of them that I read involved kind of a similar situation where it was either you come upon a fairy that's about like 18 inches tall and they run or they disappear and you can no longer see them again, or you're hearing them. You're hearing some sort of music and dancing and there's like some sort of celebration. And I don't know if it's because they're truly celebrating together or if in the case of the very first story of those three kids that were chased down by one of the Fae, if it's some sort of kind of like entrapment, it's some sort of spell, it's the the siren's call to try to capture souls and bring them back. Wait, this reminds me of, did you read the book, Some Kind of Fairy Tale? I don't think so. Why did I read it? I really liked it. It was about this girl who went out into a field and was – I'm going to butcher the story, but it's – and I read it recently, so this is semi-embarrassing. It was really good. It was by, like, James – I'm going to find it on my Goodreads. Graham Joyce. Yes. Yeah, but it's its a book about this girl who essentially, like, wanders into this field and meets this beautiful man on horseback who takes her with him through the land and the landscape's changing around them. And then she ends up in essentially this very like commune and she's Whoa. there for what feels like, I don't remember in the book if it's like a month or whatever, but eventually she, like, I don't want to ruin the book, but eventually she tries to make her way back home and there's a lot of things getting in the way. Uh, but she, she does. And the timelines between her world and the world that she has now entered. Ooh. That was super freaky. What? <laughs> On my Google Doc that I'm reading off of, uh-huh. I, a cursor just came, like a collaborator just entered what? my Google Doc and it's me. I just entered my own Google Doc. I'm working with myself.
0: Hello, other self.
1: Glitch in the Matrix. Anyway, but like. <laughs> what if we're recording in another timeline? <laughs> we might be. <laughs> That'd be funny. I wonder if it's better. I wonder if people listen to those intros. <laughs> How are those girls and the ghosts doing? <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so the book is really good. I, I recommend it. It's I really liked it. But it's very, like, mythical fairy tale, and it doesn't paint they as all good. It's definitely more of, like, a mischievous, malevolent type of creature. That's what's so interesting about fairies
0: is that, like, there are so many versions of them. But I guess that's with people, too. You know, there's good people there, and there's bad people. There's mischievous people. There are hilarious people. So why can't it be the same for fairies?
1: I wish that I had done more research on it. And maybe we'll have to do another episode. But I'm curious about cases where, similar to alien abductions, where possibly kidnappings or missing people are associated with fairy encounters and essentially being taken by, abducted by fairies. Do you think that happens? Probably. But I'd be down because
0: I want to see what their homes are like.
1: Would you be upset if fairies abducted you before aliens did or are you happy to take one or the other i would prefer aliens personally okay
0: okay time for me to get cottage core ooh, ooh. i chose to talk about the dairy fairy oh you might be familiar with it because the dairy fairy is from dairy new hampshire oh <laughs> i was thinking like dairy girls oh oh uh, that's funny well it wasn't it is
1: dairy in ireland is that yeah, it's in Northern Ireland.
0: Yeah, so Derry, New Hampshire is actually named after Derry, Ireland. Okay. so
1: I'm also thinking Dairy Girls because I gave the names James and Aaron to two of my characters and or two of the people in my story, which are Aaron is like the main girl in Dairy Girls and James is the cousin. <laughs> you
0: use those names. That's amazing. Great show if you haven't watched it. So good.
1: Okay, so my
0: story begins on December 15th of 1956. A winter chill was washing through the town of Derry, New Hampshire, and the townspeople bundled up in their homes by the fireplaces with warm mugs of hot cocoa, Christmas carols were playing over the radio. Everyone was in the Christmas spirit. And then there was a man named Alfred Horn. He too was feeling very spirited, and he was like, I don't have a Christmas tree. And I'm sure a lot of other people in town also want Christmas trees. So he decided to venture out into the forest At the edge of town and cut down an array of Christmas trees for the impending Yuletide holiday. That's illegal. Well, this is 1956. They don't know (laughs) what the rules were. Maybe it was his farm. Maybe it was his forest land. I don't know. Anyway, he does this. He goes out into the woods. And as we all know, the days are very, very short in the winter and darkness falls very early. Mm -hmm. So it's early evening and Alfred Horn already decides to go out into the woods. Very soon thereafter, he becomes shrouded in darkness. He was probably in the woods for an hour cutting down trees when all of a sudden he found himself in the moonlight. The sun had gone down and the familiar forest was now making him feel a little weary. So he'd made the decision to gather his things, put all the trees in his wheelbarrow, which I imagine he had. I don't know if he had one, but he he was like, I'm ready to go. I'm going to gather all my things and bring these trees to town and call it an evening. But as he starts to do this, he has this really unsettling feeling and he feels like he's being watched. So he pauses and he looks around and he could hardly see a few feet in front of him because of that's how dark it was. But he did see the shadows of the trees and the wind was blowing through the trees and the branches were moving and swaying in the wind. And it was playing tricks on his mind. He felt like, Maybe there was someone watching him walking through the trees because a swinging branch in the wind may very much look like a shadowy being creeping closer and closer, to- <laughs> but it was just a tree and Horn shook it off. He had to get out of there. It was all in his head. So he steadies himself and he continues to exit the woods. But as he's leaving, the gotcha. twig snaps behind him.
1: <laughs> I'm just really enjoying the storytelling. <laughs> I think this is the first episode where I fully watched your face tell the story the entire time.
0: So he hears this crunch behind him and he quickly spins around. And he was like, there is something here. I cannot ignore this feeling anymore. I know that something's in the woods with me. And he's looking for something directly in his eyeline. So he's, you know, five feet, 10, making that height up. But I'm imagining around that height and he doesn't see anything. But then he starts looking lower and lower and there the forest floor he sees something he called it an it because he didn't know what it was was it an entity a thing i don't know he didn't know he didn't know i don't know we don't know (laughs) what he did know was that this thing was two feet high with a large head and big floppy ears what the heck was he looking at a goblin maybe horn blinked thinking that this thing would just disappear maybe it was in his head But he opened his eyes again and the figure was still standing in that same spot. So there they stood, Horn and this thing, for minutes. Could have been seconds, could have been hours. Horn does not know because time is a construct. He and this thing stood there staring at each other. And Horn, in this time, however much time is passing, is like, I need to commit the details of this thing to memory because no one is going to believe me if I can't accurately describe it. Even if I can, no one is going to believe me because this thing is so strange. So he commits it to memory. This thing is two feet tall, big floppy ears, two nostril slits like Voldemort. Although clearly he didn't make this comparison at that point because it's 1956. Voldemort did not exist.
1: And also it's it's reminding me with the big floppy ears of Dobby. Yeah, yeah.
0: But... A little different now is that he realizes the eyes of this thing had scales similar to a snake. Ooh, ooh. It was bright green and utterly and completely naked with stumpy arms and toeless feet. So time continues to pass and he's still staring at this thing. This thing is still staring at him, probably doing the same thing, committing him to memory. Horn was like, I'm going to capture you. (gasps) No. So he makes a split decision because he was like... This thing is too crazy. Even me telling them, no one's going to believe me. So he decides to capture the entity. He sprints towards it, he grabs it with his hands. But what he did not expect is that this being screamed with the most unearthly, high pitched scream that he had ever heard. And he was so shocked. And it also, like, it rung so much in his ears that he was forced to drop this entity and cover his ears. That's how high pitched it was. And so in doing so and dropping the entity, it was able to flee and not just flee. Let me tell you, he flew away and Horn was shocked. He's like, I did not see this thing had wings. He was so confused. What was that? What happened? Now this thing is gone and I don't know what to do. So all he could do was return home. So he did. I'm not sure if he brought his trees with him or if he left them behind. Not sure. The story didn't. My research didn't tell me the answer to that. But he gets home. He has these two roommates that he tells his experience to. And he knew it sounded wild and they agreed. And they were like, I don't know, man. It was dark. It's late at night. You probably just like saw some things. It probably wasn't real. Luckily for us, Alfred Horn did not keep this story to himself like many others who experienced strange things similar to this because Horn wanted answers. He was determined to find what this thing was get answers, and possibly maybe even find it again. So he spent a lot of time reading articles, researching at the library, communicating and telling the story to people in the town, and going back to the woods trying to retrace his steps and follow where this thing could have gone to no avail. And he also wrote letters to this man named Walter Webb, who was an astronomer and a UFO investigator, because he was like, well, maybe this thing wasn't an alien from another planet that wound up in the New Hampshire forest and perhaps got
1: lost. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget Betty and Barney Hill in, uh, in New Hampshire, wherever it was Franconia. Mm -hmm. Yes. That was a famous alien abduction that you covered. Yeah. So he was like, maybe an alien creature got
0: lost in the woods because a lot of people do get lost in New Hampshire woods because they're very thick and dense and you know, you get lost going one direction. You stray too far from your spaceship and you wind up in alfred horn's eyesight i don't know but then months into his research alfred horn comes across a legend from the early days in Derry, from the time of its settlement it was the story of the dairy fairy so intrigued horn read everything he could of this fairy most of which were tales passed down from family members to their children and then passed on to their children he seemed to come to the conclusion that the dairy fairy came to Derry with its Irish and Scottish immigrants. And the fairy has appeared in many forms. Through his research, he found that it was a lake-dwelling fairy queen, a wizened, wrinkled wood nymph, or a menace wreaking havoc through town. It was good, bad, a woman, or a man. So basically what it sounds like to me is that it's not one fairy, it's multiple, mm-hmm. and They've appeared in many, many times over the years in Derry. So there's one story of the fairy queen who's named Sunetto or Netto for short. And she often did good deeds for people in distress. And there's like one story of this woman, Hannah Dustin of Haverhill. She was captured by a tribe of Native Americans. And as the story goes, she was like knocked unconscious, bound, and... Then all of a sudden she awoke to Netto the fairy untying her and she looked up and all every Native American was in some trance. So she was able to get away and escape to freedom. So Alfred Horn was like, maybe I saw one of these fairies the day in December in the woods. And he's never been able to find a definitive answer, but the dairy fairy or fairies, I guess, have been revered. And their stories are still told throughout the town of Derry, New Hampshire. And for some history, like I said, Derry was named after Derry, Ireland. Derry, New Hampshire was incorporated in 1827 by the Scots and Irish families. The first potato of the United States was planted in Derry fields. And Derry is also the home of the famous poet Robert Frost. Wow. Mm -hmm. The Road Not Taken is like one of the most famous poems, which we all studied in school. Also known... For its fairy. And it has an interesting nickname. It's called Space Town. Wow. Why? In part because it's the birthplace of Alan Shepard, who's the first astronaut from the US to be in space. And I think because maybe, possibly, there are a lot of alien sightings, a lot of fairy sightings that they think it's, I don't know, a nice vacation spot for fairies, for aliens. Wow.
1: I I just looked up Dairy and i didn't mm-hmm. so it's it's actually pretty close to Haverhill which is just over the Massachusetts border so dairy is probably only about like an hour 15 minute drive or hour and a half no traffic from boston you should go i might be making a trip a little road trip to the dairy land mhm yeah
0: it seems like a very peaceful nice place and there are other people who have seen fairies in dairy but what i love so much is that new hampshire or the town of Derry fully believes in the Derry Fairy. that like the public library has events every year focused around the fairy. when it was open before COVID and all of this. They had an escape room called the Derry Fairy Returns at the library. <gasps> and they also hosted a fairy and elf festival. No way. Yeah. And during COVID, they put like on their website, there's this like how to make fairy homes in your backyard. Oh,
1: oh my gosh. Oh, that reminds me. Some of my neighbors in Vermont, I saw when I was there quarantining with my parents, and we would take walks through our neighborhood. One of my neighbors has two fairy houses in their front yard. So I'll, I'll have my parents take a picture and send it to me. Please. We'll post it on our Instagram. Yes. That's so fun. Yeah, but that's the story of the Dairy Fairy. I'm in my phone right now typing in Dairy New Hampshire Fairy Events, just so that the next time I go in to search something on my phone, I remember that I need to look that up. Oh, that's so cool. It's even cooler because it's like close by, you know? To me, I feel like to you, fairies yeah. are close. And I, even if they're angry or it doesn't matter what version of a fairy I encounter, I'm, I know a lot of people will probably scream at me and say like, don't will it into the world. Don't tell them it's okay to enter. But I don't know, I'm trying to say a fairy. I feel like
0: you're the way that I am with aliens with fairies. Yeah. And Bigfoot. It's that song, that like, you are the only exception. <laughs> Just sing that all day and be like, fairies come. Fairies come to me. Put it in the
1: universe. The simulation may grant you what you wish. Wow, that's so wild. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, the description reminds me slightly, I mean, it's it's definitely different enough, but it reminds me slightly of the Bridgewater Triangle, Akamak Swamp area, mm-hmm. alien sighting, where that little being came in contact with that man walking his dog and it was saying, like, e want you. Yeah. 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 I mean, of course, like it's it's slightly different in that right. this creature was like in a spotlight trying to get this guy and his dog closer to him. Whereas in dairy, it seems like this thing was just as shocked to come, <laughs> come across right. this man. They kind of just like stop. Yeah. Also, don't run at something and give it a heart attack. Like, don't try to capture it. Yeah. Well, I mean, in your
0: story, we heard the fairy run at the girl and nearly kill her. Yes. It's just no one should run at each other. No strangers. Unless you're friends and being reunited. But even now in these days, you shouldn't do that.
1: And if you ever feel like, wow, no one will believe me. No one will ever believe my encounter unless I capture this thing. We will believe you. We are here to hear it. Just experience it. Take it in. Say, wow, thank you, universe, for giving me this encounter. I never would have thought I would have come in contact with a fairy in the woods. And then go back home and pull up your email and type in two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. Tell us. Yeah. We are here. We wanna know. We do. No fairies were harmed in the making of this episode. Never. We would never harm them. No.
0: Listener stories. I'm excited. I love when our
1: this is like what I'm gonna tell my children. So this is my favorite part. Okay, I'm cheating because I have two. That's okay. I'm going to start off with the first one titled The Forest. And this is from our listener, Alicia. Hey guys, I hope you're having an awesome October. Well, it's not October, but we are still celebrating spooky season year round over here. I feel like it's October. It's always October in our hearts. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to make a trip down from Oregon to Southern California to see my family soon. And I'm taking a plane because there's no way in hell that I'm ever driving the damn near 17 hours again after I've already made that drive once when I moved up here. Never again. So in the spirit of traveling, I want to explain why I hate driving to Nevada, which is where my big sister lives. My sister lives eight hours away from me, which isn't a big deal to me. And my family used to take eight-hour drives to visit our grandparents every summer. But when it's just me and my husband in the car, it gets pretty lonely if he falls asleep, which he did. And he did while this shit was going down. Oh. So, first thing first, this story involves a word Willamette. And all my coworkers teased me because of how I pronounced it at first. I pronounced it Willamette. Oh, shit. I pronounced it wrong too. <laughs> I pronounced it Willamette. But I guess it rhymes with damn it, like Willamette. Damn it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Willamette. Thank you for bringing us through the correct pronunciation because otherwise I would have said it wrong. That's how
0: I feel every time you tell me how to pronounce a town. In New England. Okay, well, because
1: they're they're awful. (laughs) I had to learn them, too, when I moved back to New England. Second, this story involves the fae. I'm not going to give a whole lesson on them because we'd be here forever, but let's leave it at fae are strange creatures, some good, some bad. And to be honest, I don't fully understand them, but I've had too many run-ins for me not to believe in them. So let's begin. My husband and I left before the ass crack of dawn so that we could be at my sister's around lunchtime. Everything is going good, and my husband and I are having a great time. The drive includes going down Oregon, turning through California, and then we're there. So after several hours of driving, we turn onto the Willamette Highway, which is where the forest roughly starts. I'm pretty sure we went through two or three forests, but I'm going to call it the forest because it really just seems like one big forest. So we're driving along, and it's still morning time, and the cars are starting to get scarce as we go further in. And then Pandora cut out. And then my husband fell asleep, and then it's just me in the forest. And I don't mind since I knew he had less sleep than I did. The road only had one lane going one way, and the one lane going the other way. It was like this the entire time that we drove through the forest. Mine is maybe three or four times where it widened to allow passing. We were passing some camping grounds to our left, and there were some thin pine trees to the right where a lot of sunlight shone through. And something kept drawing my attention to the trees. The trees weren't green and the pines on them were brown and thin. And then I would look at them and I would only look for a brief moment, but it felt like longer. The trees closest to the road would move as I passed them, but the trees behind them didn't. And there was this large hulking shadow in the middle of those trees. And when I say large, I mean it was maybe as tall as a house and maybe about half as wide, no details. And it wasn't pitch black, more like a stain on the forest. And it gave me chills. I could tell that it did not like people. But there's a campground on the other side, and it's still open, so maybe it just sits there and broods. My husband kind of woke up briefly, and the thing was gone. Only one ghost has ever approached my husband. Other than that, nothing goes near him, and I'm not going to question it because it saved my ass more than once. Yeah, that's kind of (laughs) nice. Yeah. And then he falls back asleep because fuck my life. But (laughs) we've passed the campgrounds, and the forest is thickening. The dirt on the side of the road was a reddish-brown color, kind of like red clay, and the trees stood tall and green and pretty close to the road, maybe only a yard or two away, and there was no one on the road except for the occasional logging truck coming off of one and what I assumed was off of a logging trail, and all the trails I saw were made of the same red dirt. Well, the Willamette Highway becomes the Dales-California Highway, and then becomes the Klamath Falls-Mallon Highway, and then we're finally out. So we passed maybe one clearing, one lake, and one town, but other than that, the forest looked exactly as I described it the whole time. And hey, my husband is awake finally, and Pantora's back on. Yay! (laughs) A couple hours later, we go and we see my sister have lots of fun, we watch her three-year-old nephew trip on purpose, learned that my one-year-old niece only loves me when I wear black lipstick, and then (laughs) we head home around (laughs) 11 a.m. or 12 p.m. a few days later. We get to the forest in the afternoon time, so there's more cars, and my husband is awake the entire time, but Pandora is still cutting out because it's in the middle of fucking nowhere. You guys, the trees were further from the road, maybe four or five yards. The dirt is a grayish color. There are no logging paths, and while I recognize the same town, same lake, In the clearing from before, there is another little town and there are more clearings. Everything is different. I'm freaking out and trying to convince my husband that I'm not going crazy. He does believe me. So that's a relief. (laughs) We're 100% positive that there was some kind of fae fucking with me. I don't know if it's the same one that I saw in the trees or not. But either way, fuck that forest. And my husband is never allowed to sleep while I'm going through there again. So yeah, that was my trip through the fae forest. have some pictures of my snake huffs short for Hufflepuff, so please appreciate Aww. his music note. Thank you so much for reading. I can't express how amazing you two are and how easy it feels to talk to you guys like this. Have an awesome day and have a happy and spooky October. Alicia.
0: Wow. Okay, this reminds me a lot of almost, not abduction, but like the the stories of people who are going through places and the passage of time is all warped. Yes. And when they get out of where they were, they're like, what we just drove through is not on any maps.
1: Yeah. And they were stuck for three hours, but really it should have only been 20 minutes. Right. Yeah. It's so weird. And it kind of reminds me too of in the story that I read about how that girl who looked out of her window had seen the landscape of her backyard entirely changed. It reminded me a bit of this, like some sort of, whether we call it a glitch in the matrix or whether it be a manipulation of time and space and surroundings put on by a paranormal force. Mhm. Whatever it is, it's different. And how do you explain it? And why? Right.
0: I'm glad that her husband believed her, but like how hard is that to describe or explain to someone when no one else experienced it with you? I know.
1: Yeah, and I'm so curious too because there were all those logging trails and she would see logging trucks drive by her, so.
0: Yeah, there were other people there. Were they people though? Or was it a different timeline?
1: Could have been a different timeline. It could have just been what the fae believed might be something to put someone at ease when they're experiencing this manipulation and so they just mimicked what a logging truck would normally do but maybe there was no one behind that wheel weird very creepy also her snake when i first saw the photo when i scrolled down i was like oh my gosh did a fairy put a snake under your computer but it's her pet snake (laughs) (laughs) that's funny
0: okay wait what's your second story
1: Okay, so this is less of a story and more of just something we need to hopefully post on our Instagram. (gasps) Oh. It's from Jenna, who we've met before. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, She said, hi, OG Phantom here. I'm still alive and I still love you guys. (laughs) I just wanted to (laughs) check in since it's been a while. Sabrina, I got engaged right around the same time as you and Nick. So I've been excited to hear snippets of your engagement and wedding journey. Aww. When you were talking about having your bachelorette party in New Orleans in a recent episode, I got so excited. And my first thought was, oh my God, join bachelorette party. <laughs> and then my second thought was, what the fuck? Creeper. <laughs> it's hard to remember that we're not BFFs in real life because we hang out multiple times weekly. <laughs> 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 I'm having my bridal shower on June 20th. Oh, that just passed. I hope it went well. Oh my gosh. Which is the summer solstice. So we're doing a solstice theme. There will be crystals, mandalas, sage, etc. Also, I'm in one of my best friend's weddings on October 30th and my cousin's wedding on the 31st. So I will be celebrating with you guys across the country in good old Pennsylvania. Oh my gosh, Well, first
0: of all, congrats to you congrats. and your fiancé. How exciting. So exciting. I hope that The COVID world is not getting in the way of your celebrations. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We definitely hope so. And then she wrote, and Corinne, hi, girl. Obesity is on my medical problem list too. Fuck everything. (laughs) Speaking of fairies, I love that. Just never was talking about it. Speaking of fairies. I can't believe I never shared this with you guys. My aunt captured a photo of a fairy in her yard, which is actually the whole reason for this obnoxious email. (laughs) Love you girls. Stay spooky and keep up the amazing work. And we're, I'm going to message Jenna and be like, Jenna, please let us post this on our Instagram. Wait, this is so cool. Isn't it? It's very <gasps> Tinkerbell-esque. Yeah. It looks like a like little figurine body. You can make out the head. You can make out kind of like a bent leg. Little red hair. Yeah. And then there's, it seems like there's four different wings coming off of it, and it's all a bit blurry as if it's- But they're all moving, yeah. Somewhat in motion. So cool. That's so freaking cool. And we need more of a backstory other than my aunt took a picture of a fairy. Like, Right. Jenna- what, how did your aunt have enough time to snap a photo? Does your aunt normally see fairies? How many fairies are there? Was this an odd coincidence? Did she take the picture and then notice the fairy after? Tell us more. Need to know everything. Possibly we'll post a pic. We will. We'll make Jenna make. <laughs>
0: she can do whatever she wants, but, you know, we all have free will. Okay, I have a story. This is from Michael. Hey, ladies, I have been listening to your podcast for almost a year now. I love it. You make my commute entertaining. I have had many experiences over the years. I am also a firm believer, and since you're always asking for ghost stories, I decided to email you one of mine. I believe my first paranormal experience was when I met Disappear. I had to be about three years old, but I could have been two, and I remember it vividly. I was on the toilet. In my old bathroom, there was a heater in the wall in front of the toilet. We would turn it on in the winter when we showered, so when we got out, we could be warm. There was a metal tile between the heater and the floor. And I say tile because it was the same size as the wall tiles, but it was made of heater material and there was a screw in the middle of the tile. So as I was singing on the toilet, the screw turned and the tile dropped and became skewed. And a little white hand pushed the tile to the side and this little bald white man thing crawled out. He was tiny. He was wearing a black uniform with a white stripe from chin to groin running vertically on the front. And he introduced himself to me as Disappear. We talked a bit about his home, and I don't remember much of the conversation, but I do remember looking in the hole he came from, and he had a black and white world. I remember a courtyard with a tree in the middle. It was regular size, but black and white. And when the conversation was over, he went back inside and put the tile back in place. He was my friend, a playmate, and everyone thought he was my imaginary friend, but... He was not imaginary, and he was very good at hiding, like a chameleon. And he had powers. He was super fast, he could be invisible, he could shrink and grow, and overall, to me, as a three-year-old, he was very cool to play with. But he had a temper, and could be a vindictive butthole at times. One time, we got into an argument, and I don't exactly remember the specifics, but he was pissed off about one of our games— And he tended to be a sore loser, so he got real mad and gave me an ominous you'll be sorry threat, and I told him I was going to tell my mom. So I called for my mom, who was in the other room, and began to run toward her. I took maybe two steps, and the little turd threw me into an end table, head first. After that, I learned to keep my mouth shut. He wasn't all that bad. I'm essentially an only child, so it was nice to have a playmate. We made up games and told each other stories. And he was a strange little dude. And I remember he would stop and talk to me in a weird language, which may have been English backwards. You know, like that dwarf in Twin Peaks. He would also complain that his world and my world weren't compatible. This usually came up when I inquired about his world. And he would say, You can't go there. It's bad for you. I would have tried, but I couldn't fit into any of his holes. He left the night my dad did. I was seven at the time. And he said, I gotta go, I can't protect you anymore. And then my mom started playing cheap thrills by Big Brother and the holding company and Disappear faded away, which was different than his usual departure methods. My parents got a divorce and I never saw Disappear again. Over the years, I think about him and I feel that he was more than something out of my imagination. I'm not sure what he was, but he was corporeal, so he may not have been a ghost. He was otherworldly, but I still don't understand what his purpose was. I also don't know why he left when I felt like I needed him most. Did he have something to do with my dad? Sometimes I think he may have been a tulpa, which is a being or object which is created through spiritual or mental powers. But I I was young when I first saw him, so I'm not sure how I could have made a tulpa. I've never heard of that before. That's cool. Thanks for reading this. Thank you for your show. Let me know if you'd like to read more of my ghost stories. See you on the other side, Michael. Wow. And I responded to Michael this is like from 2018. And Michael said that I can't go into details, but my father ended up being an extremely negative influence on my family. And I wonder if this being was there to protect me from him.
1: That's so interesting because if the being left at the same time that Michael's dad left, it kind of seems like it was attached to the dad. To Michael's dad. Yeah. Which also like not to go towards the negative, the negative uh, side of fae and fairy folk, they folk, but it kind of makes me wonder if perhaps that being was a contributing factor to Michael's dad's like negativity. What if this being was kind of driving him there and then manipulating the situation to make Michael believe that this creature was good so that this creature had permission to stay in the home and continue with its energy sucking from the dad? I don't know. It's hard to tell. In fairy fashion, it definitely had
0: kind of every end of the spectrum. It was mischievous. It was mean and kind of like angry, and but also kind and friendly and magical. So I don't know. I I, I, and I've never heard of a fairy attaching itself to someone or being connected to someone.
1: Yeah. And to kind of have all of that interaction and I don't know. It's just, it's interesting because so many of the, it seems like it would be kind of like saying, hey, I had an entire conversation with the Mothman. The majority of encounters with Faye that I've seen are oftentimes like quick blip, like a, a small insight. One time thing. Yeah. Or like an, for an hour or for a day, but for this continual relationship to build, that's so unique. And the way that it appeared to Michael- Like, lifting the bathroom tile,
0: sliding itself out, and being like, hello, my name is Disappear.
1: Yes, and also, if that ever happened with a regular human-sized person, you would have a heart attack. (laughs) I'd be like, how long have you been living in my walls? Yeah. This mustn't continue. (laughs) (laughs) Please leave. (laughs) Please. Wow. Oh, I love fairies!
0: (laughs) Me too. Speaking of, if you have experienced a fae or a fairy or any magical creature, please email your experience to us at twogirls, one ghost podcast at gmail.com. Please. We believe you. We accept you. We want to hear your stories and share them with the world so no one else feels alone.
1: Just let us know. We also have a variety of ways to support the podcast. You can rate and review on iTunes. You can tell other people about it. You can purchase merchandise and rock the merch. You can join our patreon follow us on social media etc we cannot end an episode without saying a huge thank you to everyone who's supported us through patreon you guys rock and we love interacting with you on patreon and we're just so so grateful and we just love you we love you guys are the best (laughs) just the ultimate and we will see you on the other side very spooky